0: Welcome to the Dreams and Money podcast, the ultimate guides to creating and living your best life. Join me as I talk to inspiring, trailblazing millennials who are breaking barriers and being forces in their careers and personal lives. Welcome to a new episode of Dreams and Money podcast. I think this is episode seven now. Um, and on this episode, I have Solomon Smith, who is the founder of Brixton Soup Kitchen. Brixton Soup Kitchen is a charity organisation which provides food and services and assistance to the homeless in Brixton and across London. So you provide free hot meals and food packs and care packages to the less privileged and people who are in vulnerable situations at the moment, as well as other things. So hi, Solomon. Thank you for joining me.
1: Hiya. How are you
0: doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing?
1: I'm um, fine, man. Uh, It's good, but it's just literally just so tiring, like, I've, firstly, I've just never seen anything like this. Yeah. This is like, I was literally the same to my kids. You know, um, I've got two kids and I was just like, this might not be on no your history books, but your children, they're gonna be learning about this pandemic.
0: Of course, 100%. This will be in the history literally. books. So um, yeah, tell me a bit about yourself and where you started with Brixton Soup Kitchen and how that came about and where it's grown to now.
1: So me, my name is Solomon Smith, I'm born and raised in Bullens Estate, um, also known as Summer Layton in Brixton. I'm from a Caribbean background, council housing, council estate, and it was just kind of enough, the same upbringing of just poverty and, you know, a lot of my friends not growing up with their mums or dads, so they was kind of raised by uncles and, and grandmas, so that's what I was quite used to. And for me, I was quite—you would say, like the quite lucky ones—who had my mum and my dad. So I was actually yeah. living at home, and I had my mum and my dad. I got a twin brother as well, a little sister, a little brother. So it was kind of a it was kind of a like big family, you know. You know, yeah. even though we didn't have much, we were still able to have PlayStation, we would have, yeah. we would have warmth, would have cooked food every day. I remember from a very young age, you know, you know, your parents will say like the kids nowadays, they don't go out to play.
0: You no, know, they don't. I <laughs> when
1: I, no, I remember like for me, like we would be, we'll be allowed out to play maybe to the park, etc. cetera. My mom would be like, don't leave the estate. Do not leave the estate. You know, that's what was just kind of, so, so I just didn't know what life was like, you know, outside my estate. So growing up, you know, a lot of my friends would kind of come to my house and, They wouldn't want to leave, and I'm like, "Hello, you know, you (laughs) want to go home?" And yeah, and it was just like they would say to me, "No, because we don't know what it's like having a man in the house." And that's when it hit me. That's when I was like, "Raw, like this is actually this is actually a a big thing," you know, because I'm so used to having my dad in the house; it was just a normality. A lot of my friends will be like, nah, like, you know, I'm in a home where there's a man in the house. And then for me, that's when it kind of hit me that because it's normal for me, it might not be normal for others, etc. absolutely. Since I was about, when I was about 10, 11, I was very good at talking with people, making them feel good, making them feel comfortable, etc. And I remember when I first started school, um, I went to school called Kingsdale in Dulwich. And I left primary school in, like, 95, 96. And I literally started Kingsdale, started secondary school in in, in 1996. So I remember my mum taking me to the bus stop, like me and my twin brother to the bus stop, going to school. And then it was just like, I was saying, like, mum, like, you don't, you need to take us to the school. Like, I, I kind of know what I'm doing now. And then literally, you know, like, when you come home, your, your yeah. mum saying, come straight home, come straight home. I'm saying, no, I need to look around Brixton because I don't, there's parts of this place I'm living, I don't know what it looks like because I'm I'm just so used to just staying in my estate. Yeah. And that was the day I was exposed to homelessness. That's when I was just like, you know, oh my God, there's people actually sleeping on the floor. Like they've got cardboard boxes, they've got sleeping bags. And I was, I I literally could not fathom in my my head, this is where they're sleeping. It could be raining. And, and at, this at is young, where they're sleeping.
0: At a young age, you don't understand why that is. Why would somebody yeah. be sleeping on the floor when there's you know, th- there's housing out there and all these things, but you don't understand the concept of yeah. being
1: homeless? And, and it was just like, for some reason, I, I couldn't, even to this day, couldn't even explain why I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was just like, I'm in my house, and, you know, they're literally on the street so again just like an ordinary Caribbean family especially on a Sunday they're cooking rice and peas and chicken and curry goat and my mum always was she always would take a big pot of rice and peas a big pot of chicken a big pot of curry goat and I'm like mum I don't understand you're acting like you're cooking for a funeral you're like you're cooking for a, for a, a wedding <laughs> yeah like there's literally like five of us in the house how many people are you looking to, to cater for? And my mum always done it, and I just never really understood why. So when I was getting ready to go to school, I used to contain about six, seven meals, pull it in the microwave, hot, 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 get ready to go to school. And I literally used to deliver it out to the home. And I was literally 11 years old. Yeah, I literally done that for a whole year. Every day, I was just delivering food, delivering food, delivering food, delivering food
0: that's amazing um, to me that at such a young age you felt so convicted by this issue when you felt it so deeply that you thought i'm going to do something about this Like i have seen i've seen something which is an injustice and i'm going to take action like yeah. it be a little action but i'm going to take the the biggest action that i can as an 11 year old and to me that's absolutely amazing that you know <laughs> you you thought outside of yourself and you thought, let me do something else that, that you knew was going to help that
1: person. From then, I just always had the, the thing to kind of just help someone. So, it's, so it was just like, you know, delivering the food from a very young age. You know, there's a lot of people who wouldn't even remember, you know, in Brixton, like there was like a long alleyway to get into the underground. Like it wasn't the way how it is now, and a lot of homeless people used to be there. So mm. kind of like before I go to school, I would kind of like deliver deliver the food out, etc. And then it's not until I was about probably like in year nine is when I kind of kind of got involved in the wrong crowd, etc. And especially like for me and my twin, we're severely dyslexic. So if it's things like reading, writing, we literally could not fathom. We couldn't fathom, we couldn't fathom that at all. Yeah, know? and. But because we was very popular in school and because we was very popular in in Brixton, you know, a lot of people really would be like, you know, oh, yeah, don't, don't worry about it, man. Yeah, man, nah, I mean, you know, I'm good. Not knowing that was really going to affect us, you know, when it comes to like, you know, like doing GCSEs, et cetera. So for me, I just kind of wanted to focus more on what, instead of focusing what I wasn't good at, I was kind of focusing what I was good at. Yeah. So I remember, you know, like usually like when you're in year nine or year ten, your teacher organizes a trip to like Alton Towers foot park, etc. Where I learned is I'm a type of person where we might take London transport to a theme park. And because I've done it once, I automatically know how to get there now. And and that was kind of like my gift. So what I then done was, you know, I remember on my estate on the something like especially in the six weeks' holidays. You know, it would be literally the same thing. Pound up on the wall, stolen mopeds driving up and down, police chasing. It was literally the same thing every day. And I was just like, "Now nah, you know, this is boring. Come and go Alton Towers. Come and go Full Park.
2: You <laughs> know? And
1: then and then remember, we, none of us had no money. We had no money whatsoever. So what I then done, and, and I was literally about 14. I was 14 years old. And I just pretended I was a youth worker. So I was like, hello, my name is Solomon Smith. I'm calling from the Morning Community Group. We have 50 young people who has never been able to go to Orton Towers and they would never will because we're from a deprived area. Would you be able to donate some tickets? Orton Towers donated 50 tickets. Wow. So I was like, how are we going to get to Orton Towers? How are we going to get there? That is crazy. It's literally like three hours away. How are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? Now, remember, I'm dyslexic, so I don't. By the
0: way, I'm still stuck on the fact that you were able to pull off something like that. And you thought outside the box. And for most people, it would have been, well, we're going to maybe work and try and get some money together and buy those tickets. But you thought, you know what? There's other ways to do this. And you found a way. You, You found a loophole
1: and I was, I was 14 years old again. So I saw my youth worker do that. So I used to go to a place called Max Roach. Youth yeah. cabin, and I saw the youth worker get free tickets. And I said, all he done was, he just said, he's a youth worker. So I saw all the key points. He said it was a youth worker, the proud people in Brixton, and then he got tickets. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go. I'm going to get the number for, um, for, for Autumn Towers. And I've called them. Now, I couldn't spell coach. So I thought coach was spelt with a K. So I was looking at, do you remember the yellow pages?
0: Yeah, yeah, yellow pages, yeah.
1: I had the yellow pages and I'm like thinking, where can I find coach? Where can I find coach? Where can I find a coach hire? And I'm going in K and I literally could not find it. And I was thinking, oh my God. So the way how I've done it is I used to go out Brixton and I literally used to just wait outside Brixton, way outside, because I know somewhere, somehow I'm going to see a coach driving by. Then I saw a coach, I ran across the road, I had my pen and paper, and then, you know, at the back of the coach, it's got the number where you can hire. And then that's when I realised coach was spelt was, was with a C. And I was like, oh, shit, like, I, thought, I thought it was proper K. And then <laughs> um, I got the number, and then I literally called them up, and I said, Hi, my name is Solomon Smith, I'm the youth worker for, for Moreland's Youth Community Centre. We've been donated 50 tickets to go to autumn Towers with the young people who would never experience it, but we've got no means of getting there. Is there anything you guys can do for us? And they said, yep, yeah, just send me a request form, the dates, the times. And literally, they sent us a 52 CR, what got everybody to autumn Towers, free entry, and when, and the day... When I was actually in Orton Towers, I was like, "Look what this dyslexic guy done! He can't even read or write, but I was able to get 50 people who's never ever experienced going to Orton Towers, and I'm in Alton Towers right now. And that's the day when I was like, I don't have to read. I don't have to be very good um, with the good with theory. I don't have to be good maybe academically, but I'm actually able to provide something."
0: Yeah, you know, like you, you, you realize your talents and you kind of ran with it. That's incredible. Yes, so so how did you get back into? Because you said you deviated a little bit from you know supporting the homeless people that you were seeing on the streets. How did you get back into it? And kind of fast forward to twenty twenty, where you've been running the bricks and soup kitchen for almost seven years now. Uh, yeah, what has that journey been like? And getting to a space where you you actually have accommodation but a space where you can cook for people, you provide food for them on a daily basis. What yeah. has that journey been like
1: for you? So for me, so again, I left school with no GCSEs. I was able to take them all, but I was, I literally, I just fell miserably. And that's when I kind of got involved. I kind of got involved in youth work. So I was doing a lot of youth work at the time for Lambeth Youth Council, started to get paid from the age of 17, doing a lot of community stuff on my estate, etc. And then my manager at the time, he was also very dyslexic, was like, you know, you can go to university. I'm like, huh? How can I go? I've not even experienced going college. How the hell am I gonna jump college and go straight to university? And then that's when he was like, well, right, if you're my, you can go there as a mature student. So I done my UCAS form. Well, I didn't do it. I had to get help. And then I actually, from all the experiences, what I was doing when I kind of done the Tower stuff, all of that, I actually got on into Goldsmith University to do social science and youth and community. When I actually got into university is when I was diagnosed as not dyslexic, but severely dyslexic. And that's when they was like, you have to kind of do work placement. And So a lot of my work placement was with youth work. So when I was on my last year at um, at university, they said you cannot, without a shadow of a doubt, do anything with young people because everything you've done has been with young people. Think outside of the box and do something within your community what's going to help the community. And that's when I automatically thought about working in a homeless shelter. So I worked in a homeless shelter called the 999 club in Deptford. So I was meant to be doing 280 hours and the lady at the time, she was like, it's going to take you some time to get used to it. And literally, I got involved straight away. I was hands-on straight away. When I was there, I was kind of looking at how they was working. So they had people kind of coming in. They had people kind of giving them food. Okay, so they have volunteers
0: Volunteers to operate yeah. the day-to-day um, runnings.
1: Literally. And I was just like, this is all the way in Deptford, and there's a lot of people here who's from Brixton. So I was like, do you know what? When I finished uni, the day I handed in my, uh, my dissertation, I was like, I want to create something where there's no colorism, no racism, no sexuality, no religion. Because when people see soup kitchen and people see anything to do with like maybe helping the homeless it's always tied to a church it's always tied to a religion yeah so i was like how can i put my youth work aspect into it my community work aspect into it and my homeless work aspect all into one building and that's when i was just like literally i'm going around to all the community centers in brixton and i was like i just just want to just use your center for one day just one day where I can get the homeless people to come in, get a hot meal, get tea, coffee, etc. And believe it or not, a lot of dissenters said no. They was like, no, it's not going to work. And this was like 2012. They was like, no, this ain't going to work. Just leave it for the professionals. Wow. There's other organisations doing it. Stay in your lane. It's not going to work. And I was thinking, it might not work. If they're saying it's not going to work, it's not going to work. I and can I was, imagine can I, that
0: it made you question yourself and question, what am I doing and, and is it possible even?
1: 100%.
0: So how did you overcome 100%. that to the point where you are now?
1: I couldn't sleep. I, I literally, you know when you've got that,
0: you know that, when you've that, got... That nagging feeling at the back of your mind. Yeah. You like you I literally,
1: I physically could not sleep. Somebody was keep on saying to me, homeless shelter, soup kitchen, Helping the homeless, feeding the community, and I was thinking, why am I keeping getting these these voices in my head? Am I turning mad? Am I physically turning crazy? <laughs> and then that's when I was just like, you know, everything what was coming to me was always community centers. Always centers was not being used, and they were saying. And then to me was just like, hi, my name is Solomon. I want to start up a soup kitchen for the homeless. You know, and then a lady on my estate was like, do "You know what? I'm gonna give you a try." Remember, I had no business plan, I had no pro, I had no project plan. I just had, I didn't even have a name. I just wanted to do something while I was waiting for my degree to come in, and to do something for a bit, so I could, so I could start working maybe in a couple of months. Yeah. And then so I just thought of a name, Brixton Soup Kitchen. I went online, I saw a logo. I stole the logo, I took what I took off everything that was on there cuz I was learning a bit on Photoshop. I put bricks from soup kitchen on there. I made a quick flyer just saying if you guys want to eat, you want hot meals, you want to get some warm clothes, you want to come off there, you want to come off the streets for a bit, come to the center. Literally. Now I'm not thinking in my head this is going to blow. I'm just thinking this is the something I want to do to keep myself occupied until I get my degree so I can start working.
0: Thinking maybe I'll get a couple of people in a day coming in and that's it.
1: Literally, literally. The day we opened, so we, we decided to open the 1st of January 2013. The day we opened, we had about 50 people outside. Wow! And I was thinking, I remember, and the only social media we was using was BlackBerry BBM.
0: Yeah, so yeah, it was still back in the day, like where yeah. t- um, Twitter and Instagram weren't so, so popular as they are now. were not even
1: popping like that. It was thinking literally just BBM. Them. And I was thinking, oh my God. Literally, people started to share it on Facebook, people started to share it on... On, on all their social media handles. So we're getting a lot of calls. Remember, I've never been, I've never been able to talk to people, you know, telling them about volunteering opportunities before. I've never been so all these things are all new to me. You know, yeah. every, I'm 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 speaking to record labels and they're saying this is amazing. You know, how can we support you know um the Carnival Carnival wanted to make us their their chosen charity but we wasn't a charity. We was just a name. We wasn't oh, even registered.
0: right. So, Nottingham Carnival wanted to, to support you as they they chosen charity for, for that yeah. year.
1: Yeah. That's incredible. And, we, and I was just like, how is this all happening at once? Like, we literally were standing and then I mean, thrown into the deep end straight away. I didn't have a clue about charities. I didn't have a clue about you know policies and procedures and registrations. I didn't have a clue about none of that. All I knew was about just to, just delivering the work.
0: You just wanted to do something, and you wanted to to fulfil um, a need uh, where you saw a gap, and you were just pretty much thrown into into the deep end in terms of like you needed to actually start a whole entire organisation and you didn't realise that that would be even becoming. Like, it's not something that you were thinking of immediately or something that you you envisioned would happen so quickly.
1: No, didn't have a clue.
0: Fast forward now to where you have an actual soup kitchen that was donated to you how did how did you manage to secure that
1: so with donations it was again it was just quite funny so it was like from the day you started we've never had to reach out to any company we've never had the good
0: word has has spread on your behalf
1: literally has just spread so even till today we get companies coming left right center we've never had no government funding no oh, wow. funds, so we've always relied on donations. You know, we've had have had couples getting married, and saying, Do "You know what? We don't want people to give us presents. We want them to donate to the soup kitchen."
0: That's beautiful. You know? Can you tell us about some of the organizations that donate to you and support you in the cause?
1: Oh yeah, we've got we've got Nando's, Pret A Sainsbury's, Marks and Spencers, Franca Manka greg lush oh Um, right yeah
0: so the the cosmetic company
1: yeah they've been very very helpful um we've got we've had a lot of celebrities come down wiley santan dave um we've had idris Elba. he was with us for the whole day
0: oh that's incredible
1: we've had jesse Ware. it's literally just crazy on this is just something that I've thought of in my bedroom and to where it is now. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. Now I'm, I'm here, here with Isaac.
0: Uh, hello, Isaac. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you. Um, can you tell us a bit about what your role is with Bricks
2: and Soup Kitchen? Basically, my contribution, I basically, um, when I have spare time or whenever um, Solomon needs me to help, I'm always on call. So basically, I help with um the donation so when people donate um the tin food or clothes, there's a certain location where we have them stored so basically i um pack it up I also help with the outreach so basically um we get hot food and we get teas coffees um hats gloves
0: okay, so you do so you guys do food and scarf, the clothing and as well that you're
2: able to redistribute to the homeless and vulnerable. Yes, and local communities that we do outreach. So basically throughout the COVID-19 situation, um, families that are unable to leave their house to go and get groceries, we take it to them.
0: Yes, actually, can we delve into that a little bit with how COVID has affected you guys and how you're operating on a day-to-day basis, um, as well as how it's actually affected the homeless people that you were supporting that came into, into the kitchen every single day?
2: Well, I believe with the homeless people, the ones that um, live on the streets, I believe they rely on the um, public basically and society. And the fact that you would say ninety percent of us been told to stay at home, they now have only ten percent of um, society defending them basically. Yeah. So that's where charities like soup kitchen, where we are extra hands. So now we go out to them.
0: So at the moment, at the moment, you guys are you're you're cooking in the kitchen and you're literally going out into the streets finding where the homeless people are and handing out food um as, as you used to back in the day solomon yes yeah.
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: okay in terms of the the kitchen itself so at the moment i can imagine it's being closed due to the the rules that have been put in place by the government to uh, social distance
1: yeah yeah so yeah so we um we was kind of closed before the lockdown so we kind of knew that this was going to happen so we um, decided to kind of make our service be outside. So even though we're closed, we, we we still wanted to provide a service. So yeah. we decided we decided to still have volunteers coming in and cook, but not have, you know, this, this centre to be used as such. So we was literally kind of hand-delivering food outside and, you know, taking names and numbers, what different areas they'll be in, et cetera. And literally once through the whole... Um, pandemic and it was the lockdown season is when we were saying well do you know what a lot of the shops who were kind of donating to us have stopped the lot of the donations getting literally stopped as well because a lot of people was you know hoarding food and you know being very scared of when the next meal would come in etc so it really put a massive massive strain on our back um donations uh, money donations was in our account literally what we're trying to kind of so we usually go like cash and carry to kind of get our stores um we literally couldn't go cash and carry because every time we would go go it's literally um everything's finished so we wow would, we so the panic food.
0: buying has literally impacted you um, oh, directly yeah. and your ability to to serve um people yeah. to, and to help them
1: yeah, so we literally had to resort to going to our local—not even to the supermarkets, but the corner shops—where they've now, you know, we've had to buy hand sanitizer just to keep our staff safe for twenty-five pound for a bowl.
0: That's absolutely crazy. So what I also wanted to discuss as well is in the seven years that you have been running running the kitchen, I can imagine it's not been. An easy ride. There may have been some bumps in the road, but what are some of those things that you've had to overcome in in your journey?
1: So I think the main thing for us would be the funding. Funding, and sometimes
2: you have service users where they suffer from um, mental health issues, and some of them they lack people skills because nine out of ten times they they basically live alone on the street. So you get some service users that are a bit volatile, so they're a bit abusive sometimes verbally.
0: Oh, okay. Because and I mean, I can imagine, you know, they have been, some of them may have been on, on the streets for months, some of them years, and not only does it affect their physical health, it's now affected their mental health as well. Yeah. And how do you overcome that then when people, people come into the kitchen and they are sometimes combative or a little bit aggressive? So
2: there, are, there are rules and regulations that we do um, let them know when they first arrive, so give them a brief introduction of what they can and can't do, be mindful of each other. And sometimes, as they say, rules are to be broken. So you get the odd few that do break them rules. And when such situation arrives, what we do in a respectful manner, remind them of the rules and regulations and then give them like a warning. If it gets to the third, third warning, we may tell them that sadly enough, you have to leave.
0: Okay. I think I saw somewhere where you guys were talking about you are representatives for the Black Mental Health Commission. Is, is that something you're still doing?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we was working with the Black Mental Health Commission in Lambeth and they've kind of chose us as their main charity. But also that we've worked with um, a lot of the staff there as well. Um, so a lot of the um, us kind of learning more about, you know, when we're first thinking about homeless people, we're thinking just about them sitting on the floor with a cardboard saying, help me. And yeah. now we've now come to realise it's way much more than that. And at least 80% of the time is to do with mental health so for us we've had to kind of we've had to re-educate ourselves more on mental health and maybe why a person has become homeless. Can you actually
0: share some of that because I feel like people have sometimes the wrong ideas as to how somebody could end up homeless.
2: So we get a service or not a few like at least 25% of service users that are are young so they're Teenagers, so they've either had a dispute with their family at home or they've been in a, a volatile relationship and they've just been kicked out. So, and then
0: that's how they end up like in yeah, situations they where up. they are
2: yeah. homeless. Yeah, they end up distressed, and where they're still growing and they're not understanding what they're really going through, it makes them automatically angry with the world. Mm. So, when you have services like books and Soup Kitchen, we're here to give them some form of encouragement to let them know, like, not to give up, we're here to help you. So not only that we provide food, we have um solicitors, so solicitors come and provide their time to give um legal advice for free. So if oh, you've got housing, yeah, if you've got housing, housing situation. Um, if you suffer from um alcohol, being an alcoholic or abuse drug, so there's services where we provide where it helps them with that as well.
0: Okay, so it's not just the physical providing food, but actually the, so the social side. support as well. That's absolutely yeah. great. I know part of what you do, which we've kind of touched on a little bit, is the extra support that you provide as well, which includes supporting people with um, getting back to work and things like cover letters and CVs and actually providing volunteering opportunities to people. Yeah. Why was that important to you to do that as well as as part of the,
1: the kitchen? The main thing for me is um, bringing it back, bringing it back. To when I was doing youth work was and I said if I was to ever start my own organization I don't care on you know what race religion anything I I want this I want this to be exclusive to everyone so everyone could feel wanted at this point also when I was 16 when I left school I remember if you wanted to do your CV and your cover letter, you had to go to Connections. If you wanted to sort out your benefits, you had to go to the Job Centre. If you wanted to kind of get, if you wanted to get maybe food vouchers, you had to go to ACAP. So I was like, how can I create two hundred services in one building? And that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to have so many different services in the Bricks and Suit Kitchen. But then at the same time. I wanted to um, make sure that everyone's able to go for it at the same time. So we've also got, we've got cover letters. We've got NHS that come down and do dental care and do free health checkups. We've got uh, people coming down doing haircuts and doing massages, therapy massage. You know, we've got lawyers in the soup kitchen. We've got chefs that come down and give food training. We've got book reading workshops. So there's so many things that we wanted to do at the soup kitchen, not just provide food.
0: You're doing an incredible job because, like you're saying, you've been able to take all of these different services that people need, especially those in need, and put them into into a one-stop shop. Especially because sometimes, you know, it doesn't make sense to say to somebody, who doesn't have a job like you need to go to this area for for support with getting a job you need to go to this specific person to go to this so i mean again they, they may not have the means they may not have the transport to do so they may not have all the necessary information so the fact that you're able to give it to them in one package i can imagine makes such a big difference for them so moving forward how can people support you what can we do during this time and beyond the pandemic when everything is done, what can people do to support you? How can we get involved
1: to to push this forward? I would say the the main thing is to firstly, you know, support us by even if it's kind of buying tin foods, if it's doing anything that, you know, you're you know, I always say if you're an expert at gardening, please come down and help us, you know, do a bit of gardening workshop. If you're good at doing PR and events, help us to create an event so we can do fundraising. You know, the main thing is is we don't discriminate on, on your ability. Whatever you're good at is what you can help us with. You know, we didn't know about running a charity, so we've had to literally go out there and get a volunteer who was very good at running charities. And now we're trying to use that experience that we got to run our charity. We don't get no government support. So we want people to donate to the charity, donate to us, they see the work that we're doing. And this is why I go so hard on recording. People don't understand, people's like, why are you recording, why are you recording? I want people to see where their money's going. to. If you're donating 10 pound, you know, you've got to remember we're a black face with a black man on the logo and it says Brixton. Those don't already mix. People's already gonna have their they they're gonna have their stigma around it already, and I need to break those barriers by letting people know that donations that come in are going straight back out to the people that need it. We're going beyond the work that we're supposed to be doing. We're going onto different territories. Our thing is, is we're here to help the people that, who need it. We've got volunteers driving up to Bromley, driving up to Brighton, driving up to Bedford who to deliver a food parcel. And for us, we're just here to show the people that we are trying to go beyond that everywhere we can to make, it, to make this possible. We've done, we've done a lot of work in Miami, helping the homeless in Miami. We've done a lot of work in Toronto. We're at the process of trying to set up a soup kitchen in Tanzania. You know, this is where our oh. mindset's at. It's well, mindset incredible not, that
0: you're taking it international. We're not just keeping it to London.
1: No way. No way. You know, we've done a lot of work in Jamaica. Please, I want people just to research us and try to see what we're doing. But we cannot, I repeat, we cannot do this alone. We need the support of the people. The UK right now, You know, one of the main things what I want is I want the UK to push the UK. I want people to to kind of make us their chosen charity. Because when people think of chosen charities, the first thing they're thinking of is the big charities that all you get the support. Yeah. You you know, we're we're a small charity who's doing big things, but we can't do know, without getting the support. You know, we don't, none of us are paid. You know, we wish we could be paid. But again, we don't get enough donations coming in. The, do- the donations that come in allows us to insure our car, put insuring on the business and to buy groceries when needed. You know, we yeah. want to get enough where I can pay staff to maybe to help us with our admin. You know, us doing our admin and getting back to DMs is hard work.
0: It's Yes, yeah, so it's a lot of work I can imagine because you you are Absolutely. just running the whole operation.
1: Literally. So when we're doing um, a long day to day, I literally have to go home, try to do a bit of the emails, try to get back to the social media, upload a lot of the videos that we've done on that day. Literally, it's not easy. And, you know, we want to make our life a bit easier. But then at the same time, cater for everyone who needs our support. Yeah.
0: Um, Honestly, I am... I'm inspired by what you guys are doing and I want to encourage anybody that's listening to go on YouTube and search Brixton Soup Kitchen. You guys have a YouTube channel where there's quite a lot of videos where you show, you know, where the money is going to, the donations, show the work that you're doing directly with the people and going out into the community, giving food and just giving a bit more backstory and context to everything that you guys are doing you also have a donation link i believe on your website
1: yes yes so you can follow us on on instagram bricks and soup kitchen twitter bricks b-r-i-x soup kitchen snapchat bricks b-r-i-x soup kitchen we've got a website www.bricksandsoupkitchen.org and guys just google just google bricks and soup kitchen and you'll see everything that we're doing everything that we're trying to do we're trying to conquer the world we're guys from Brixton with big dreams yeah.
0: <laughs> and you oh. will absolutely conquer the world and hopefully you know we will see homelessness be eradicated because it's to me it's still so crazy that we live in we live in england one of the most richest countries in the world and we are still fighting things like homelessness which should not be a thing it it shouldn't still exist um so again i just want to say a massive massive thank you for not only coming on and sharing your story but for everything that you're doing um i know that much more blessings are coming your ways individually and as a team and as a charity, you will continue to grow and do big things. So I'm absolutely inspired by everything you're doing. I am vowing my time to you guys. If there's anything I can do to support you or to spread the word well, even further, like let me know. Like I'm, I'm genuinely here to support and to see you guys win. So thank you.
2: Well, to be fair, thank you because you're kind of doing that already in essence because the fact that you've taken time out to think about us and organizing this interview that alone is awareness because then you're going to post it on your media outlet and then after that in return it's going to make other people hear this interview and then they're going to tell someone else that's going to turn someone else so it's basically a form of network so thank you you're doing it already
0: yeah and again like i said like it won't stop here i'll definitely be in contact um and Crazy enough, before the pandemic and everything was happening, like I was looking to actually volunteer at your kitchen. But unfortunately,
2: Uh
0: with the timings, I know that you guys are open at a certain time. In my work schedule, I couldn't work it out. So I thought, what are ways that I can give back to you guys? And this was the first thing I thought of. So again, thank you for your time. Um, So in terms of your individual social medias, do you want to give that out? Or can I include it in the... Uh description
1: is Solly's world s-o-l-l-y-s world that's on instagram twitter and snapchat as well
2: uh, to be fair i'm a kind of an analog person i don't even own a social media account you know okay <laughs> but he does a lot of um creative writing you can find that on um, brooks and soup kitchen facebook so a lot okay. of the um, creative stories you see on there when it has um at the bottom of it hashtag one. That's
0: myself well i just want to say thank you again i will include all the information about brixton soup kitchen in the description box so that will include the website the instagram the facebook so thank you again thank you. as for me you can follow me on instagram of course that streams and money podcast um thank you for listening and thank you for the both of you
1: Most, uh, thank you, thank you.